Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 35th program in this series. I'll be spending some time in John chapter 8. What was going on was that this was the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. In the middle of the feast, in chapter 7, Jesus went to the temple and he began to teach in the temple publicly. He had a conflict with some of the religious leaders who were there. And at the last day of the feast, even the Sanhedrin assembled together and had a discussion about the Lord Jesus. This discussion is found at the end of chapter 7, Beginning in verse 45, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. So the religious leaders there, the Sanhedrin, assembled together. This was the highest court there in Jewish society at this time, besides the Romans, and they declare that the general population is accursed, the crowd of people, that they do not know the law. And yet in their discussion with Nicodemus, they testify themselves that they don't know the law either because they assert that no prophet has arisen out of Galilee, and yet there were several prophets who had arisen out of Galilee. And so, What did they all do? They all just left and went back to their own home. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. This is John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now, this was the day after The festival, after the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles was over. It's time for people to go back home, to leave Jerusalem and go back to their homes, go back to their lives. The religious experience is now over, but Jesus goes back to the temple. So while everybody is getting ready to leave town, he goes to the temple And everybody who is there, everyone who is there, goes to listen to what he has to say. Now, there were many who were there who wanted to hear what he had to say because 
they wanted him to say something that they could accuse him of violating the Mosaic law with, that they could make an accusation against him. And so they have to be around him and wait for him to say something that they could use against him. Now, he had already created a lot of conflict, a lot of conflict there in the temple within the previous few days. This was expressed well in John chapter 7, verse 19, when he confronted them directly and he said, Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law. He declared that they were not living in obedience to the Mosaic law. They thought they were. They believed that they were. And so he gave them an example. He gave them an example with circumcision and the Sabbath. And that there can be a circumstance where they are not going to be able to obey both. Because if the eighth day after the male child was born, if the eighth day falls on a Sabbath, then the law requires that he be circumcised. But according to their beliefs, their beliefs regarding the Sabbath day, they are not to perform any medical procedure unless a person's life is in danger. And yet they would perform this one. And so God did set them up, in a sense, by giving them these two laws that could produce a contradiction or a circumstance like this, but that was just because of what they believed concerning the limitations of what they could do or not do on the Sabbath day. And this was an accusation that they had against Jesus, that Jesus had performed a medical procedure namely the healing of the man who was found at the pool of Bethesda, and that it was the Sabbath day. Jesus could have waited until the following day to heal this man, and they considered that to be a violation of the Sabbath law. And so what Jesus did was he used their standards, their beliefs concerning what they could or could not do, On the Sabbath day, he used their beliefs against them to pass judgment against them and show them that they did not obey the law. And this, of course, created a conflict because they thought they did. They believed they did, and they did not want Jesus to be the person who declares that they are violating the law because then the people would turn to Jesus as being the authority, since they, of course, are not legitimate authorities considering that they violate the law. They were asserting themselves as legitimate authorities because they had found a way to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. And Jesus was showing them, according to their standards, that they failed. So this was just a few days before Jesus returns to the temple here in John chapter 8. It was just a few days ago that this happened. Now, the general conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders had to do with the fact that, in general, they were not living in obedience to the Mosaic law anyway. That was the general conflict, and these are just some specifics. Now, the religious leaders were consistently trying to condemn Jesus and to declare Jesus to be sinful because he's violating the law, they were always condemning Jesus because he was violating their additional laws that they had that were in addition 
to the law of Moses. Jesus was living in obedience to the law of Moses, but he did not conform in general. He did not conform to the additional laws that the Pharisees established in order to ensure that they would live in obedience to the law of Moses. What happened was, was that the people recognized that the reason why they were sent into the Babylonian captivity was because they violated the law of Moses. They recognized that they were still at risk of being evicted from the promised land if they did not live in accordance with the law of Moses. And so what they were doing, and this was something that began while they were in captivity in Babylon, what they were doing was they were defining a set of laws that would define a lifestyle, a way of life, such that if they would obey these laws, then they would never come within the boundaries of possibly violating the Mosaic law. So there was the Mosaic law, and then there were these additional laws that the religious leaders and the rabbis were teaching the people to obey as if they were the Mosaic law, with the hope and expectation that if the people would observe these additional laws, then they would never violate the actual laws of Moses. Jesus did not live by those additional laws, and he was there teaching the people that even though the Pharisees and the scribes had these additional laws, they still were not living in obedience to the law of Moses, to the standard that God would require. And so even with their additional effort, they still failed. And this created a conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders to the extent where they wanted Jesus to die. They wanted him to be killed because there was no resolution between themselves and Jesus because, of course, Jesus was telling the truth. So when Jesus had confrontations with the religious leaders, it mainly had to do with these additional laws in addition to the law of Moses that they believed kept them holy. So Jesus comes back the day after the Feast of Tabernacles is over. He comes back, he goes into the temple, but now the religious leaders are going to confront Jesus not with their additional laws that they defined to try to be sure they did not violate the law of Moses. Now they confront Jesus with the law of Moses. That is what is going on here in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, we have the unique experience when the religious leaders confront Jesus with the law of Moses. Not with their own laws, but with the law of Moses. And they confront him with the topic of adultery. But their objective is to try to show that he is in violation of the Mosaic law. They try to set him up so that they can make an accusation against him according to the Mosaic law. Not according to their additional laws. But according to the Mosaic law, they want to accuse him of violating the Mosaic law, and this is when they try to do it. They create a circumstance, they create a situation, and they present an issue to the Lord Jesus and ask him to pass judgment on this issue. 
And the issue is not the issue at all. The issue is that they have created a trap for the Lord Jesus. And what we have is we have the record here in John chapter 8 of how he handles, how he responds to the trap that they set for him so that they might find a way to accuse him of violating the Mosaic law. Now, in order to see this, you have to know the law. You have to know the law in order to understand the trap that they set and how he evades the trap and also how he turns the trap around on them and sets them up in their own trap that they thought that they could set him up with. Beginning in John chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And that was the trap. Moses says this, but what do you say? They are looking for an opportunity to accuse Jesus of disagreeing with Moses, of disagreeing with the Mosaic law. In verse 6, it says, this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. And that would have been the appropriate response in this situation. He should not have responded to this. This was not something that he was in the position of passing judgment on. They should not be bringing this issue to him. So initially, he does not respond. So in verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So he waits a while in order to assert the fact that this is not an appropriate question for them to be asking him. But through persistence, he does give an answer But his answer is not an answer to the question directly. He does not directly answer the question that they give him. In verse 8, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, what was presented here was the subject of adultery. And again, it really was not about adultery. It was about a setup. It was about the Mosaic law. It was about trying to find a way to accuse him. The real issue was not adultery. It was about these other things. 
And traditionally, when people read through John chapter 8, there are two conclusions that people come to, and they present two different ideas that are quite popular when it comes to John chapter 8. The first view that is quite popular that people present as the intent of John chapter 8 is to say that he who is without sin can cast the first stone. This is found in verse 7. And what people usually say is that if a person is passing judgment against someone else, they should first examine themselves and be sure that they themselves don't have any sin within them at all. That's the first thing that people usually present is the idea that only those who are sinless should be the kinds of people who pass judgment against someone else's sin. And they'll normally bring this up when you are accusing them of something. If you accuse them of some kind of sin or you accuse someone who they like, one of their friends, of a certain sin, then they will respond to you by saying, hey, you know, if you are without sin, then you can cast the first stone. But if you have any sin within you yourself, then you've got no business making accusations against me or against my friends. You go straighten your own life out first, and then you can come back and we'll have a conversation like this. That's one of the ways that people use John chapter 8. And then the second way has to do with verse 11, when Jesus spoke to the woman and he said, Go and sin no more. So if you've committed a sin, especially a terrible one such as this, then just go and sin no more. And that that is what this was about. Jesus gave a resolution to the sins that we commit in our lives. Just go and don't do it anymore. That's the other theme that people usually present when it comes to John chapter 8. But this doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in John chapter 8. First of all, the Mosaic law never required a person to be sinless before they could be a witness or before they could be a judge or they could be a part of an execution. The Mosaic law never required a person to be sinless in order to fulfill the obligations that the people had to the Mosaic law. In other words, if this was a requirement, the requirement that a person be absolutely sinless or there could be no judgment against anyone, if that was a requirement, then there would never, ever be a legitimate trial. No one would ever be punished for their sins. It would never happen. And civilization would be nothing but anarchy and chaos. That's what it would look like. There would be no law. There would be nothing. There would be no nation. That is not what God had in mind when he defined the Mosaic law. And so this was not a requirement at all for a trial such as this, that a person be sinless. And today, the same issue is real. We cannot impose this requirement on other people. Otherwise, there would never be an opportunity for people to speak about judgment, to speak about sin, for people to be confronted about the sin in their lives, there would be no opportunity for that at all because no one would ever meet this criteria. No one would ever be without sin. 
That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about something else. It definitely was not this. In order for us to live in reality and for us to work through the conflicts and the issues and the problems that everybody has in life, there will be occasions when a person has to be confronted, that a person has to work through the issues of the sin in their lives. To go and sin no more, that's not going to help either. Because if that was the solution, then again, we would now have a sinless person. Is that the real solution? If a person commits a sin, just tell them, go and don't do it anymore. Don't do it ever again. Everyone has got plenty of sin in their lives. Pick a sin, any sin that you have in your life, and make a decision that you will never do it again. You will go and you will sin no more. Let's see how long it takes before you commit that sin again. Let's see how long it will take before it happens again. It will happen again because that is not the solution for the sin in our lives to just be properly informed and then to just never do it again. That's not going to be real. If you don't believe me, like I said, you give it a try. You do it. And if you can do it, good for you. But I am confident that this simply is not going to be the solution. There are reasons why people commit sin, even adultery. These reasons have to do with the deepest needs of a person's heart. It has to do with a desire for love. It has to do with a desire for acceptance. It has to do with the emptiness that a person has within them, and they are trying to experience some fulfillment in their lives. They're trying to overcome the emptiness that they have so that they can feel complete, so that they can feel whole, so that they can feel at peace in their being. And it turns out that many people just turn to sin because they believe that they are going to feel better after they engage in this sin. And of course, it doesn't work, but it's the belief that people have that they will find some fulfillment to the emptiness that they have in the core of their being. And this is a struggle that everyone has in their own unique ways. The struggle exists. It is important for the struggle to exist because that is what drives us, directs us to have a relationship with our God, the only one who can meet the deepest needs that we have in our hearts. And these sins that people commit are indicators that a person needs their God. That's what these sins represent. Not that they need to be put to death, but that they need their God. They need a relationship with their God. So these are the two most common ways that people approach John chapter 8 is to just simply use this as a way of warning people about passing judgment against others and also to say that a person should just go and stop sinning. But that's not what this chapter is about. This is about the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders and that they are trying to entrap him in a circumstance, in a scenario such that they will be able to make an accusation against him for violating the Mosaic law. It's not about violating the law of adultery. It is about another law that they are trying to get Jesus to violate 
so that they can accuse him of violating the Mosaic law. It is a trap. In order to avoid this trap, in order to understand what they are trying to accomplish, you have to know a little bit more about the Mosaic law than just don't commit adultery. For example, in Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, it says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. This is what they're trying to get Jesus to do so that they can say that he cannot be trusted, that the people should not be listening to him anymore because he is an evildoer. He is a sinner who followed a crowd to do evil, and he was a participant in perverting justice. If he would have answered the question, yes, she should be executed, then they could have used this law against him because not all that Moses said about this matter was being fulfilled. And I will explain this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 35th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I spoke about chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, with regards to the woman who was caught in adultery. They brought the woman before Jesus, and there was a conversation about the law, and it was a trap that the religious leaders set for the Lord Jesus. In this program, I spent some time talking about the issues with regards to passing judgment on others, and also the idea of going and sinning no more. This section in John chapter 8 is not about either one of those issues, but I did spend some time talking about them in order to help people have a better understanding about some of the struggles that we tend to have in life. In the next program, I will explain this trap in detail by referring to some of the specific laws in the law of Moses that would have been violated if Jesus said yes to this question. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. There can be 